0: Welcome to the show. Coming up, are Australia's new euthanasia laws partially illegal? In a moment, I'll talk to Associate Professor in Law, Neil Foster, about a recent federal court ruling. Queensland police are investigating a lewd act in uh, in public at a Brisbane pride march. Bernard Gaynor will join me with the latest on that. Has reality finally caught up with the global boiling evangelists? Suddenly, some reality has been injected into the debate at COP28 in Dubai, thanks to a brave 17 year old. I'll look at why the Queensland LNP is walking away from human rights for unborn babies. And Kiralee Smith joins me yet again for the latest in the LGBTIQA political movements, relentless war against girls, women and children. All that and more, Don't touch that dial. Well, unborn babies will continue to be allowed to be killed for any reason up to birth if the LNP wins the Queensland election next October. And I should add that that will also be the case under Labor, which is also effectively a pro Abortion Political Party. Now, asked last month about plans by the LNP to review Queensland's controversial anti-life laws, leader David Chrysophily doubled down on his captain's call to ditch that election promise. Pressed by journalists to rule out winding back abortion to birth, Chrysophily responded, if I say it's not a priority, there's not going to be changes. No changes for four years. End quote. The Guardian reported him saying at the Queensland Media Club recently. Now asked about the pro-life views of newly pre-selected candidate and former senator Amanda Stoker, Crucifilli claimed voters were not interested in reforming, in reforming abortion laws. Quote, it's not a priority for voters either. Her voters, that's Amanda Stoker's voters, I believe would say the same thing that my voters do, end quote. Now this of course is not true with Cherish Life Queensland commissioning YouGov polling back in August 2018 which showed 60% of Queenslanders oppose abortions past 13 weeks and 75% agree that abortion harms women's health. Now that's the YouGov, poll, uh, YouGov polling company, very reputable, and I'll just repeat that, 60% of Queenslanders, polled in 2018, not that long ago, opposed abortion past 13 weeks, and 75% agree that abortion harms women's health. I'd suggest voters are very interested in this issue. In October, Chris Opheli also said euthanasia laws would not be repealed uh, should he win the election. It is not our priority. There will be no position taken on it. It's not a policy platform, end quote. Now, the LNP is a party that has always tried to woo conservatives and Christians and pro-life voters. But in the lead up to next year's election, the LNP is willing to sacrifice them and their key concerns about protecting the most vulnerable in our society. Crucifeli's stance and the silence of his candidates and MPs means there is unlikely to be any progress on the pro-life front, regardless of who wins next October's election. Crucifeli has even gagged LNP candidates and MPs from talking about what really is the greatest moral challenge of our time. In the US, however, brave politicians have protected unborn babies from six weeks of pregnancy More than 10,000 lives have been saved in Texas alone in the last two years. And of course, the state of Florida has implemented similar protections for unborn babies post six weeks under Governor Ron DeSantis, who's running for president. Now these moves have proved very popular with voters and even more so since the US overturned, or the US Supreme Court overturned the Roe v. Wade case, allowing the will of the people to prevail through their state legislatures. And uh, more than half of American states are now bringing in pro-life laws. Who said voters don't support this? Yet here in Australia, conservative leaders have learned nothing from the voice debate, which proved if they get in the fight, make an argument in public, they can win. Now this is why Family First is calling for expressions of interest from courageous, pro-life, pro-family Queenslanders willing to put justice for the most vulnerable on the ballot at the upcoming election. If you are interested in standing at the Queensland election or helping raise a local Family First supporter group, please email office at familyfirstparty.org.au. Well, last week on the show, we covered the Wynnum Fringe Bay Pride March in Brisbane. You'll recall that the LGBTIQA plus activists targeted a family home seeking to intimidate the occupants and one of the marchers performed a lewd act right under the noses of the police. Now, I don't mean to be offensive by showing this footage again, but I think we have to understand that increasingly LGBTIQA plus political activists are trying to mainstream in public and in front of children a culture which is not conducive to human flourishing and it is certainly toxic to marriage and family, which is the bedrock of any civil society. Now Bernard Gaynor is a former major in the Australian Army and Iraq war veteran who has himself been targeted in vexatious legal action by gay political activists, which he won by the way. Now Bernard has been raising awareness of the Rainbow Movement's attempts to take the Mardi Gras into the suburbs, as he rightly says, and he joins me again from Brisbane. Bernie, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, Since we spoke last week, um, you've reported that incident that we just showed on the screen to the Queensland Police. What's the latest?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's correct, Lyle. So there were three police officers right in front of that, um, and they may have seen it. I don't know. Um, They didn't take any action. So I did report it to the police. And now an investigation has been opened uh, into uh, willful exposure, I think is the Mm-hmm. Uh, legal term uh so look hopefully the police will be able to identify that individual uh and take action and of course you know this unfortunately these type of actions occur all too often uh in these type of parades which is why we don't want them in the suburbs in the first place um they just are not suitable to be in a children's park that occurred in a children's park unacceptable mm-hmm. you have to take action against it
0: no, I, I agree and uh, i really admire what you've what you're doing. And I'd even go so far to say they shouldn't take place uh, anywhere in public, uh, including the inner cities of big cities like Sydney, where I am. Uh, Bernie, what's been the reaction of the organisers of the Wynnum Pride March? Have they apologised to the mums and dads of Wynnum for what took place?
1: No, they haven't, Lyle. Um, I don't think they care. I think they're quite happy about it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff they would not even consider to be a problem, for instance, I've got lots of photographs of bearded ladies, for instance, uh, marching with children. I've got photos of leather fetish activists marching with children. Uh, Normal Australians, uh, normal family people, just consider this abhorrent. These LGBT uh, activists, I think, is great. They want it in the suburbs. They want it outside your home uh, and they're pushing for it. That's why we've got to fight back. Um, And all too often these type of incidents are left um, unaddressed. No one complains. I think people have forgotten that you can actually push back against this stuff, which is why I'm taking it to the police and I expect them to do their job.
0: I think that's absolutely, absolutely correct. And um, it's so important that we do push back. Why, why do you, um, what motivates you, Bernie? I think a lot of people have watched you over the years. You, you fought for years in the courts here in New South Wales. Um, you're not giving up on this fight, are you?
1: Uh, absolutely not Lyle. And I guess what motivates me, uh, there's a few things. I'm a strong believer in upholding good and avoiding evils. So that's the simplest law I guess there is. Uh, this stuff is not good for our children. I've got nine children with my wife. Uh, I think they're gonna face a much tougher fight than we have. Um, and how can I expect them to stand up as men uh, for what is right if they haven't seen their father do it? So all those things, motivate me. Um, but I guess one other reason is I've been pushed into a corner. I didn't choose this fight. Uh, these people came after me for my views on how I raised my children. Uh, they started the fight uh, and I'm not backing down. Mm.
0: Now, good on you, Bernie. Uh, where can people find more about your work and follow what you're doing?
1: Oh, sure. Thanks, I So, I've got my website, bernardgaynor.com.au You can follow the news there. Plus, you'll find my Twitter and Facebook pages, Uh, linked on that website. So, bernardgaynor.com.au.
0: Terrific. I'd encourage all our viewers and podcast listeners to follow Bernie. And uh, we'll certainly um, keep up with this issue of the Wynnum Pride Festival. And uh, I'm sure it'll be sometime next year, but we'll be keen to get an update. Bernie, thanks very much for giving your time today. Not a problem, Lyle. Thank you. Well, suddenly reality has caught up with the United Nations COP Talks Fests, but not with the Australian delegation. More than 20 countries at the Conference on the Parties, which is what COP stands for, in Dubai at the weekend agreed to fast-track nuclear energy by tripling its capacity by 2050. However, the Albanese government refused to sign, despite the failure of its windmill and solar panel program. Instead, Energy Minister Chris Bowen remains determined to try and roll out 22,000 solar panels per day and 40 wind turbines per month by 2030. Clearly, this is just not going to happen. The 20 COP28 countries signing the nuclear pledge also know from experience that renewables cannot provide reliable, let alone affordable electricity. That's what the the French president, Emmanuel Macron, told the 17-year-old Nuclear for Australia founder, Will Shackle, who is in Dubai. Take a look.
2: Emmanuel Macron, I'm from Australia, and I was wondering, what do you think is the role of nuclear energy in global plans to decarbonise? I I hope that you will will manage to lift the ban. I mean, nuclear energy is absorbing of necessity to uh, succeed. Yes. For carbon neutrality
1: in 2050. Right, certainly.
2: I mean, now it's with the control of international to make it juicy and uh, with the best possible regulation. I think this is a firm and a good decision to relaunch nuclear capacities. So yes. I wish you the best. Be careful. No, all good. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate that you support lifting the ban in Australia. I hope you have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, well done, Will. And uh, later tonight, Nick Cato will talk to Will Shackle uh, for the latest from COP28 uh, on his show, Battleground, which streams right after this program at eight o'clock. Now, the nuclear pledge which Australia has shunned is probably the most sensible initiative to ever come from the UN's COP process. The bipartisan support in Australia of net zero has arguably done more to push up cost of living and inflation via high electricity bills than any other factor. The Albanese government has made the pain worse by being even more aggressive in its pursuit of net zero than perhaps what the coalition would have been. But the damage has been done by decades of bipartisan taxpayer subsidies to windmills and solar panels. Coalition politicians put Scott Morrison on the plane to Glasgow in 2021, where he signed Australia up to net zero by 2050. Now, Family First wants net zero paused until proper engineering and economic analysis is done so a rational decision can be made about the costs versus the benefits. Family First also backs lifting the ban on nuclear energy and is pleased to see the Dutton-led coalition pushing for this despite its mistake in blindly supporting net zero. Any net zero transition must keep electricity reliable and affordable And that means, most likely, that if a transition is affordable, it should progress over time from coal to gas to nuclear. Gas and nuclear power generation can be built adjacent to existing transmission lines, something that is not possible for windmills and solar panels which need transmission lines to go out to far-flung hilltops and deserted areas where these these things are placed. Now renewables also have the problem of non-existent battery technology capable of running large cities for more than just a few minutes. The Albanese government has sent 48 bureaucrats via jet aircraft with Chris Bowen to Dubai. This is despite their belief that carbon emissions are causing the planet to boil and that we face an imminent climate catastrophe. They are hypocrites. It was ironic that jets destined to take global boiling evangelists from Europe to Dubai were stuck frozen to the tarmac at Munich Airport. Now, a decision handed down recently in the Federal Court of Australia rules that part of Victoria's euthanasia law, the Voluntary Assisted Dying Act of 2017 is invalid as it authorises assistance with suicide which is prohibited by federal law. Neil Foster is an Associate Professor in Law at the University of Newcastle. He's a Christian with his own excellent blog called Law and Religion Australia and he joins me now from Newcastle to discuss this case. Neil, um, was it a surprise to you that the The federal court judge uh, has now ruled that aspects of Victoria's law and presumably uh, the euthanasia law in other states uh, is partly invalid.
3: Well, uh, it was something, I think, that was always in the background of these state laws that have been enacted, allowing what's uh, somewhat euphemistically called voluntary assisted dying. Um, we used to simply call this suicide, and mm. uh, that's effectively what it is. It's um, helping people to take their own lives. Mm. Um, and so uh, I uh, this was always an issue that was, was possibly going to come up. Um, uh, what was interesting about the case was that it was actually brought by a a practitioner who wants to be participant in this. And I think he anticipated that he would get a declaration from the court that it was all okay as it turns out. uh, I think that Justice Abrams has applied the law as it is correctly to be applied and has said there is a clash with federal law Um, and uh, so part of the um, Victorian legislation and impliedly the other legislation will be invalid.
0: Yeah well that's right because the federal law, um, the criminal code clearly says that suicide and assisting suicide is is not lawful. If this case um, Mm -hmm. brought by this medical practitioner, um, Carr, I presume he's a doctor, uh, if this was to be appealed and if he was to win or, or if someone else was to win an appeal on this, would that mean we would be as a nation changing the definition of suicide?
3: Well, I think uh, that's a very good point, Lyle, and uh, we, it's hard to speculate as to where it might go. Um, it seems that Dr Carr's argument was that uh, when the Commonwealth law says that you can't Using a carriage service, I want to be clear here, it's mm. it's it's directed at uh, using telephones or the internet um, uh, to to help someone commit suicide. When it says that, uh, that that's unlawful, he tried to argue that suicide meant, oh, except if the law otherwise allows the suicide. But the judge said, no, that's not what the Commonwealth law says. The Commonwealth law just directly says you can't use the internet or telephone service Uh, or or a text message to um, assist someone to commit suicide. So yes, I guess it could go on appeal and the argument might be accepted by other courts. Um, But uh, at the moment, the definition of suicide is, uh, as the judge uh, said in this case, simply uh, someone taking their own life. Mm.
0: Now, I know, Neil, um, your blog about this court case mainly deals with the legal issues, but you, you do mention um, some of the ethical aspects, which which we should talk about. Um, you said that voluntary mm. assisted dying laws, and, and I agree with you on this, uh, have crossed a line into a world where a person can give up on life, even when serious pain and imminent death are not involved. and. Uh, and that these laws can also um, coerce, uh, potentially force doctors to be takers of life rather than healers. Um, That's a pretty serious Mm. situation for this law to put uh, medical practitioners who have conscientious objections. uh, That's a difficult position to put them in, isn't it? Uh,
3: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, I guess to be clear, uh, most of the laws do contain some conscientious objection provisions to allow practitioners to decline to be directly involved in um, uh, you know, administering these, these drugs. But we are in a situation where, for example, a religious hospital which has a fundamental objection to um, the idea of euthanasia in this sense, um, even though it may not be required to provide the service, will be required to allow others to come onto its premises to administer these uh, these drugs. And so in that sense, uh, they will be required to be complicit in what many people will regard uh, as a wrongful act, an act that undermines our culture's fundamental commitment to the value of life. Mm. Uh, we have always, uh, for many, many centuries, millennia, uh, said that uh, what we want to do is encourage people to live uh, as best as we can. And uh, modern developments in palliative care mean that actually people aren't living in unendurable pain in most cases um, and uh, that we can manage these things. But we are crossing a line when we say a doctor can now take on the role of someone who takes someone's life deliberately. And uh, I think that's uh, a very bad development.
0: Absolutely, particularly when there's a legal apparatus around that. Um, Neil, in your blog, um, you mentioned that there could be potentially some silver lining from this decision in that um, it it does reinforce uh, what is understood constitutionally, that federal law overrides state laws. Could this have implications for some state laws which uh, really put, you know, um, inhibitions uh, on religious freedom, um, where Commonwealth law perhaps uh, is less restrictive?
3: Yes, uh, I think it could. Um, I've actually written uh, an article which is linked in the blog which uh, makes a point that um, I think that under the Constitution where a state law imposes restrictions on religious freedom, which are not imposed in in those circumstances by federal law, then the state law may be invalid. Um, And this is an example of the sort of situation where, uh, as I think Justice Abrams says, the states are not allowed to (coughs) impair or undermine or to uh, interfere with the operation of federal law in that way under our constitution.
0: Mm. So we could see uh, further uh, cases unrelated to the euthanasia issue, but uh, on religious freedom grounds uh, uh, using the same reasoning that Justice Abrams has reasoned to overturn aspects of the euthanasia law. Neil, where do you think um, this might go now? Australia is a very decentralised country. Uh, Pretty much all of our states uh, have now legalised in in recent years at lightning speed, uh, they've legalised euthanasia. We're a remote country. Um, I know that many of the politicians want euthanasia to be available through carriage services like the internet and email and telehealth and all that sort of thing. But this judgement really does cast a pall over whether uh, euthanasia can be um, promoted and assisted uh, via those carriage services now, not just in Victoria, but potentially for the whole nation.
3: Uh, That's right, it does. Uh, And uh, as I point out in my blog, it's interesting, even the recent New South Wales law tried to have a a bit both ways because it said, well, you can do this over the internet, but then it said, except if that's in contravention of Commonwealth law. So clearly they were aware of the possibility And uh, I think any practitioner around uh, Australia um, planning to be involved in this, uh, the law has been laid down here very clearly that you'd be breaching the criminal law if you did that through an email, through a telephone call, uh, through a text message. Um, And uh, I think then there'll be pressure on the Commonwealth Government to change that aspect of the criminal code. Um, I think it would be important for the Commonwealth to maintain the law as it is because I think we don't want to be making it too easy for people to uh, to terminate their own lives. And we know the impacts of things like voluntary assisted dying is not just individual choices. It's pressure that's put on by families. It's pressure that's put on by um, the system for someone to um, to end their life when really that might not be their own free choice. So all sorts of dangers are opened up by these laws. And uh, I, think it's, um, I think it's a good thing that uh, the operation has been restricted by this decision of the federal court.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Neil, for the uh, lay people amongst us, myself included, the non-lawyers, um, why is it that um, assisting or encouraging someone to commit suicide is only an offence under the Criminal Code if it's conducted on a on a carriage service? Why isn't it an offence if um, you know if someone's doing it by your bedside?
3: Well, it's to do with the constitutional division of powers between the federal parliament and the state parliaments. Uh, our federal parliament only has. Uh, enumerated powers under section 51 of the constitution which it can use it can't legislate at large and one of those enumerated powers has to do or it has been interpreted to do with electronic communications so that law was introduced uh, basic on on that um, commonwealth power Um, in theory there might be other commonwealth powers that could be used for similar purposes but so far, that hasn't been um, hasn't been done. But uh, no, it's it, the Commonwealth Parliament doesn't have the power to just regulate generally about criminal law across Australia. It has to be done in accordance with the powers that are given to them by the Constitution. Mm-hmm.
0: No, thanks for clearing that up. Well, Neil, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for uh, the work you do on the Law and Religion uh, blog. It's a great resource, and I'd encourage mm-hmm. everyone to go there. And uh, appreciate you giving of your time today for us here on ADH TV.
3: Thank you, Lyle, it's been my pleasure.
0: Well, joining me now, as she does each week, to discuss the fight back on the LGBTIQA political movement's war on girls, women and children is Binary Australia's spokeswoman, the indefatigable Kiralee Smith. Kiralee, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me Lyle.
0: It's always great Kiralee. Uh, Lots to talk about yet again today because something happens every week in this space, multiple things happen. But um, we were originally going to be doing a very tight interview this morning because you were supposed to be at a court hearing by video link, but uh, that's been postponed yet again. Why are you in trouble again with the law Kiralee? What's going on?
2: Well, this one was, um, we've actually had the hearing. It was for an application for an AVO against me for identifying a male soccer player in a female sporting competition. Uh, we we had a full day hearing in October. The magistrate decided that she didn't want to make a decision that day and uh, listed the decision for today. But we were notified late yesterday that uh, she would not be handing down her decision today and we don't have another date for when that might happen. So, again the process is the punishment.
0: So let's just be really clear because I'm sure lots of our viewers are scratching their head. Uh, An AVO is an apprehended violence order. You look like a very violent person but uh, as I understand it you posted a picture on social media of a male identifying as a woman who wants to play soccer with the women and that is what has landed you in court.
2: Correct, I've never named the person. Um, all my advocacy as a political lobbyist is towards the organisations that issue the policy, not towards the players themselves. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I can't really say more than that and I don't understand why the decision's been postponed, but it has been, so we'll uh, we'll keep you posted.
0: I think any normal person would be wondering uh, how hard is it for uh, a magistrate, I presume it's magistrate, uh, a magistrate or tribunal, authority to make a decision about something as stupid, it's a magistrate, make a decision (laughs) about something as basic as this. The idea that Kiralee Smith should have an AVO because she is telling the truth about gender. Well, we'll we'll keep everyone posted on that. Um, Let's move on. Um, Again, this is more craziness, but it's very serious. Uh, Our friend uh, Moira Deeming, the Victorian Liberal MP, who was expelled from the Liberals' party room because her leader, John Pesciuto, falsely slurred her as a Nazi sympathiser. There's been some developments this week. Uh, What's the latest?
2: Yep, uh, Moira and her team have actually filed the defamation defamation case in the federal court. Uh, this is insane. You know, John Pisudo has had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to uh, withdraw his false smears. He has; it's they're totally baseless. Moira is not a Nazi. She does not associate with Nazis. He has no evidence and no proof. But he's dug his heels in, has refused to apologise, has refused to um, meet her. Uh, her. Uh, request to be reinstated, Um, you know, she's an elected parliamentarian and he's kicked her out of the parliamentary party, uh, all based on false uh, smears. It's really insane. So, This will be uh, the first one. The second one will probably come from Kelly J uh, Keane in the not too distant future. Both of them have issued several concerns notices which he's ignored and uh, now he'll find himself in court. It could cost him millions and, well, let's say it, I hope he loses his job over it as well because he's uh, proven to be a very disappointing opposition leader in Victoria.
0: Yeah, no one should be able to get away with slurring someone as a Nazi, uh, and particularly in this case, it's completely false. Um, I think it's interesting, Kiralee, that um, uh, your media reports this week show that uh, Moira has engaged the Sydney barrister Sue Chrysanthu. Now, she's one of Australia's top defamation lawyers. Um, This is a really serious escalation of this issue, and it shows that Moira and her team are not playing games with this.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, Moira's really suffered as a result of these smears, you know, losing uh, opportunities to actually do her job and represent her constituents in many different ways in Victoria. Um, you know, her family's been under a, a great lot of stress and she's received threats and all the rest of it. Um, I can personally testify to how great Sue is. She represented me all those years ago in my, my defamation case against a halal certifier and she was outstanding. Um, so all the best tomorrow we will be standing with her 100%
0: Absolutely, and I'd encourage all of our viewers and podcast listeners to go to the website Defend Deeming, Uh, just Google Defend Deeming. Uh, She obviously needs to raise a lot of money to pay for this uh, case, but if she goes down, uh, none of us are safe from being smeared like this. This is uh, a case she's running on behalf of all mainstream Australians. Uh, So uh, Kiralee and I stand uh, with you Moira, and uh, I know our viewers do as well. uh, more craziness, uh, The Daily Wire has released a new movie highlighting the ridiculousness of the LGBTIQA plus's political movement's gender fluid ideology. Let's take a look at this clip.
1: Guys, this is serious. Sports can be your pathway
0: to a better life. Well, like yours?
1: Are you going to move? Make- I am not. Yeah.
0: If you can beat them. Coach. Alex. We, we can play basketball. basketball. We'd have to get the whole team back together. We're in. I'm in. I'm in. Join them.
1: This is the way the world is
0: now. My eight-year-old daughter told me all about it. A guy can become a girl with no physical changes at all.
2: That's called gender fluid. So I can be a woman on the court and a man in the bedroom.
1: I can't believe it.
2: Nice! You
3: mean when you're sleeping?
1: Yes, it's time. I'm with her to play. This is This is much. Like a girl, we could dominate every woman's sport: running, swimming, soccer. I said
3: sport, Felix. Lady Ballers, streaming exclusively on Daily
0: Wire Plus. What do you reckon, Carolee?
2: I think it looks hilarious and good on them it had to be done uh, you know it is a joke and it should be made a mockery of uh, you know the fact that males are playing in any female division is absolutely ridiculous what's the point of having a female division if males can participate in it so good on the daily wire they all started it themselves and they got other people uh like senator cruz and riley gaines uh, the swimmer uh, to also star in this film. I haven't, I'm yet to see it. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, but it, it it really does need to be made a mockery of.
0: You're absolutely right. Uh, I remember when I read Peter Costello's memoirs, Peter Costello being the former treasurer of Australia during the Hayseal and Howard era <laughs> when we had an adult government, remember those days. But I remember Costello said that uh, any time that your political opponents can reduce you to ridicule, you've lost the argument. And I think this political movement, uh, has lost the argument because it is so easily parodied like this. So let's hope it's the beginning of the end, hey, Kiralee?
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you look, you know, I made a serious suggestion earlier this year um, with cr- cricket and soccer that that's exactly what men should do. Whole teams of men should turn up sign up and, uh, and you know not make any effort whatsoever to appear as women uh, and make a mockery of these policies because they're dangerous, they're stupid. Um, I don't want the men to hurt any women. I don't want the men to even participate, but they should at least sign up and stand on the field uh, to show what a joke these policies are and how dreadful and ridiculous they are.
0: Great idea. I think it's only a matter of time before the rainbow flags start to melt away into the abyss of history. Uh, Kiralee, just finally, um, the binary blog, and I encourage everyone to go there. You've got the latest and all the gender craziness news of the week. But you're reporting uh, again in the sports issue uh, that women's cycle cross in the US is being dominated by males.
2: Oh, look, the cycling world seems to really um, welcome males in female uh, divisions uh, right across the board, especially in the UK and the US. And uh, just over the weekend, several males dominated in female sports. One had never really even competed in cycling and he's a complete novice and has been coming second and uh, looks forward to, you know, smashing the female opponents. Another one, uh, you know, has taken first and second place. So, again, it's really insulting to these women. It is about time, unfortunately, the women are going to have to make a stand because the officials yeah. are gutless and uh, cruel, I believe, uh, towards these women and that they're going to have to stand up. What's really exciting for me is that people like Riley Gaines and Seth Dillon from the Babylon B have offered the women who refused to um, participate against these males twice the prize money that they would be missing out on and I think that's a fantastic initiative.
0: Well, good on them, good on them. Maybe The Daily Wire's next movie should be about uh, women's cycling. Uh, Kiralee, we've got one more show next week. Um, I look forward to you joining us there. We'll wrap up for the year. But uh, thanks again for your time today.
2: Thanks for having me, Lyle.
0: Well, thanks once again for your company. Next week's show is the last for 2023, so make sure you tune in at 7pm on Thursday or catch up on demand right here on ADH-TV, on the app or on the website. You can follow me on x at Lyle Shelton and the Family First blog contains plenty of political commentary during the week, familyfirstparty.org.au. Don't forget to make ADH-TV your go-to for common sense news and analysis. Until next week, keep speaking up.